What's up, you guys? This is your host, Chelsea, and you are listening to the Strength to Build podcast. Okay, so I'm really excited to see that people are getting a lot more interested in pelvic floor health and like understanding it better because I started figuring out, and I talk about this in today's episode about six years ago, that my pelvic floor was so messed up. Um, and I just didn't know how I, I just didn't understand how I got there. And um, I honestly haven't really known this entire time how to really fix it. Um, based on some of the stuff that you'll hear in today's conversation, Dr. Mercy and I go over why I had a pelvic floor uh, issue, weakness, and how a lot of people like in day-to-day general population um, also experience pelvic floor issues, even if they haven't had a child like me. So it's very interesting. It's just so hard to understand how to activate and feel your pelvic floor from my perspective. And I'm noticing that that's the same way a lot of people feel. For example, if I asked you to flex your bicep and tense your bicep, you could. But if I asked you to tense and feel your pelvic floor, um, a lot of people have no idea what that even means. So with today's conversation, I'm very excited and thankful to sit down with Dr. Mercy. She was an uh, online client of mine who I started reaching out to to get more guidance on pelvic floor health. And we are actually now working on a nine-month training program together that's going to utilize strength training that's appropriate for every trimester along with proper pelvic floor health um, and strengthening. So in today's conversation, we're going to be going over the importance of the pelvic floor health and also that a pelvic floor specialist is actually a physical therapist that has additional training in examining the internal pelvic floor muscles. So that's really important if you're looking for someone to help you examine or check out your pelvic floor. We touch on the anatomy of the pelvic floor, the 11 muscles that are integrated within the pelvic floor, and also just signs of a weak pelvic floor and the importance of pre-pregnancy pelvic floor health. This is why I'm so passionate about kind of getting this information out to everyone now, whether you've had a child or not. This is something that a lot of us females need to start paying attention to. Um, So we're going to go over some insights into exercises and posture for pre-pregnancy, early pregnancy, and throughout pregnancy. And we kind of conclude with a discussion on uh, prolapse and the importance of seeing a pelvic floor specialist for preventative care for things like that. Um, We're going to be going over exercises and considerations for every trimester of pregnancy and especially the importance of sumo work in the third trimester. Um, Also, we we cover Kegels. That was a big question. So we do pop in on that. Um, But yeah, I hope that you guys enjoy this episode. And if you need anything, let me know because I ended up booking an appointment with a pelvic floor specialist right after this episode um, with Origin. I think they're new or they're newer, but I'm very excited that appointment is coming up for me this week. But with all that said, this is Dr. Mercy. Please enjoy. So today we're sitting down with Dr. Mercy. Dr. Mercy is a pelvic floor specialist. And I feel like there's just so many questions around what a pelvic floor specialist is and what you do and if it's necessary. And I just, I'm excited to dive in on all the questions with you today. Um, So can you give us a little kind of rundown on exactly what is a pelvic floor specialist and what it is that you do? Yeah. So basically by training, I'm a physical therapist. So physical therapists, um, we learn the entire body from head to toe in the sense of the musculoskeletal system. So um, nerves, muscles, bones, top to bottom is what we do in our three-year doctorate program post-undergrad. And then pelvic PT is a subspecialty 
of a regular physical therapist that requires another year of um, pelvic training. And what this does for us is allows us to examine the internal pelvic floor muscles vaginally and rectally. So with our patients, we are examining, um, you know, doing rectal exams and vaginal exams to be able to get a better sense what's happening inside of the pelvic floor, which I know we'll get more into, um, versus a regular physical therapist, which I'm sure a lot of people have been to, that is looking at external muscles around the hips, core, and things like that. So unfortunately, a lot of um, physical therapists will say they treat pelvic, and unless they're actually internally feeling the pelvic floor, either vaginally or rectally, um, they will not know what's going on. So pelvic is booming everywhere. Um, so PT places like to say, oh, we do pelvic. Um, but unless they have a pelvic physical therapist that is trained for that, um, they're, they're not doing pelvic. Whoa. I had no idea. Yep. Wow. Okay. So what would they be looking at or providing if they're not actually doing like the physical part of it? So what's great is they're looking outside of, I'm glad the awareness is there in the sense of, um, they're probably examining deeper hip strength. So more specialized for someone who's pregnant or postpartum to see what could be going on. Um, they're probably looking at the abdominals to see if they're separated, which is called diastasis recti. So those are all things that regular physical therapists can do and should be doing regularly. But um, if you're not fully knowing what is going on internally, then you cannot palpate for that or feel for that. So if someone is saying they're relaxing their pelvic floor or engaging it, you don't know if they're doing it without knowing. Um, and also just like we feel for tone of muscles everywhere in the body, um, you have to know what the tone is of those muscles and you will not be able to know unless you're examining it. Wow. That is wild. I actually did ha not have any idea that it had to be that kind of intimate to really know what's going on down there. Wow. Okay. Well, I think that also goes back to why it can be so detached from all other forms of physical therapy and like training, right? Like I obviously do personal training. I feel like I'm pretty strong, but I, I feel internally like my pelvic floor is weak and I still don't even really know like how to actually strengthen it and how to check on those things. And so if I feel, if I'm lost, I feel like a lot of other people are very lost. Right. So, um, that's something that I wanted to get into as well. Like, so how, as like a general population person, can you tell like pre-pregnancy, like if you've never even had a child before, you can have a, a really weak pelvic floor, but what are, what are some ways that you're supposed to even know that? So I think the first question I ask all my patients is, do you have an awareness of your pelvic floor? Just like I have an awareness if I'm clenching my jaw or if I have tightness here, or if I'm always like this with my shoulders, I have that awareness that um, I tend to do this. Um, we can physically see those things. If you cannot know at rest what your pelvic floor is doing, the awareness isn't there, then you are probably not including it into your exercises if you don't even know. So I first just ask, do you know if you're relaxing your pelvic floor or you're engaging your pelvic floor? So that's number one. And then the second is the term weak is thrown around a tut. Oh, I have a weak pelvic floor. And it's really important immediately to say that a muscle can be tight and weak. And actually most weak muscles are too tight. Um, they're overused or the term we use is hypertonic. So a muscle can be weak 
being really high tone. And when we think of high tone, we tend to think like tone, like, oh, I've got good tone. A pelvic floor that is too high of tone presents as weak, and then it cannot be used correctly. So a lot of um, fitness individuals actually tend to, and we have evidence based on this, um, have hypertonic or high tone, too tight of pelvic floors. Um, from constantly clenching their abdominals, which in turn clenches their pelvic floor. And then that ebb and flow of what the pelvic floor should be doing with breath um, is not being utilized. So then it becomes weak. So I'm sure you've seen um, CrossFit videos of women leaking while they're doing huge power mo movements or, um, you know, marathon runners leaking and all of that. And you would say, well, how is that happening? They are super strong. Um, it's actually because that pelvic floor is most likely so tight. Um, so one thing that we do when we're examining is we're examining the tone of the pelvic floor, similar to I'd examine the tone of my jaw or my trap. Um, there's actually 11 muscles in your pelvic floor. So if they are too tight or if some of them are too tight, then it, that internal piston that's supposed to happen when we're breathing isn't happening correctly. So we are teaching them how to release that tone manually and through breath and through postures. Um, and then we can reconnect and how it's used during exercise. Wow. That's crazy. So pelvic floor, uh, you know, you're asking the clients, do you, do you feel your pelvic floor? Are you aware of it? Mm -hmm. Is it the same feeling as being connected to and feeling your deep core muscles or are those going to be two separate feelings? So you have three layers of your pelvic floor that add up to 11 muscles. The superficial layer of your pelvic floor, um, those are the squeeze muscles. Those are your sphincters. So if you're sitting on the toilet, we don't recommend this, but a good way um, just as we're chatting is if you're sitting on the toilet and you're urinating, if you can stop the flow of urine, then those sphincter muscles are working. Um, and, and then if you can let them go, those are your very superficial. I relate those to muscles like of the hands or of the face. Um, the deep pelvic floor muscles, which are the second, third layer, they are more connected with your transverse abdominis or your deep abdominals. So they should be co-contracting. I tell all of my patients that they're best friends. So if your core is engaging correctly, and that's a big, if, because a lot of people are not engaging their deep core correctly. If your deep core is engaging correctly, then your pelvic floor should be working along. So a rule of thumb is when you inhale, your diaphragm and your pelvic floor, they relax um, and they come down that piston. And then when you exhale, the pelvic floor should come up and the diaphragm should come up and it should be this ebb and flow. But if you're not internally assessing that, you may not know like if I'm telling you, hey, Chelsea, when you're inhaling, is your pelvic floor relaxing? You, you may have no idea. And I would say 90% of our patients don't. Okay. And then, so then there's like a third layer, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. That third layer is, is that something that you can actually, is that the part that you're saying that you can feel kind of relaxed when you're doing yep. those inhales? All, all okay. should be. Um, all should be co-contracting, but some can contract more than others. Almost like when I smile, I could do a soft smile and only some of my muscles are contracting, or I can do a big cheese and now more are contracting. So the pelvic floor, perfect contraction is a wrap and then a lift. So it's almost like the superficial muscles coming in and then the deep muscles lifting it up. 
and most people are doing um, no lift and just wrap or just lift and no wrap and, and vice or the contraction is really small, almost like if I'm doing a bicep curl and my bicep curl is only like this, you would always tell people go all the way down that eccentric control. Well, if you have a very tight pelvic floor, my contract and relax is minimal. So I am weak. So if I had full length of my pelvic floor and I could do a full contraction, now um, I'm able to actually build strength. So with majority of our patients, we are first lengthening the pelvic floor, reteaching it how to use with our breath, and then we are strengthening it. And a lot of people think when you're strengthening it, you're doing Kegels, Kegels, Kegels. And actually that is so false. Um, a lot of the pelvic floor strengthening that you're doing is with deep core movements and including hip abduction, adduction, hip flexion, um, even just mobility things like cat cow or elevating your pelvis. Um, just similar to when you're doing glutes, the best glute exercise, is not just contracting my glute and letting it go, contracting my glute, and letting it go. If I were to only do that with my pelvic floor, I'm now creating an environment where it doesn't know how to use it doesn't know how to be in use correctly with big movements and no, no person just needs to know how to contract a muscle and let it go. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting to hear you talk about it because it's just, it sounds like it's just like any other muscle. It it's just crazy how, because we can't see it and it can be hard to feel yeah. that it just kind of gets lost in the mix. And it's something that we're using with every breath and we don't even realize it. Yeah. So um, it's great to kind of have that example of seeing how it can be lengthened and then strengthened exactly how you're saying, like with the bicep curl, that's super common, yeah. like basically just not people don't bring their arm all the way down. So it's not getting that full range of motion, yeah. which means that you're not able to strengthen through the full range of motion. So that, that makes sense to me. Exactly. Um, so as far as women, you know, but like who have not had children actually developing a, a weak pelvic floor, would you say that that is from improper breathing or what are like the main ways that people are kind of developing this super weak pelvic floor to begin with? So we have a lot of evidence that supports um, traits that someone can have, men or women, that presents with their pelvic floor um, not being utilized correctly, similar to any other um, muscle system. So I'm sure you've heard of hypermobility disorders like EDS, um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, but hypermobility, a lot of females have hypermobility where I have it. My joints are super, um, I can get into crazy positions, but my muscles are actually really tight. So my, my joints are loose. So in turn, my muscles become super tight to try to help my joints. Um, so stretching actually does not do much for me because I can stretch, but I'm just stretching the joint. That is one thing where we know if someone has hypermobility, their pelvic floor is typically really affected. So we see a lot of women with hypermobility um, and pelvic floor dysfunction. The second thing we're finding is that anybody who grew up doing sports that required you to adduct your legs together for long periods of time, this would be horseback riding, ballet, gymnastics, um, those kind of things, they do find lead to pelvic floor dysfunction. So as a young adult, I mean, sorry, as a young child, it can affect what happens when you're an adult. Um, the third thing they have found is anyone that has any bowel and bladder issues when they're a child typically have pelvic floor dysfunction as an adult. So constipation, bedwetting, 
um, urination frequency. I'm sure you've had friends or family say like, oh, I have a small bladder. I go pee every hour. Um, that's not normal. So that typically tells us there's pelvic floor dysfunction. So the, the pelvic health is big around the prenatal postpartum phase, but actually probably half of our patients have never had a baby before. Um, so pelvic floor dysfunction can be through the, the big um, population. Yeah. So the reason I even knew from a few years ago that you could have pelvic floor problems without having a kid was because it was something that I personally was going through. And it led me to learning more about the pelvic floor. And I realized this was like six years ago that basically in high school, I was wearing these jeans that were way too tight on a daily basis. And I was just holding my stomach in. I got really used to like keeping my abs super contracted, walking around all day like that. And I never obviously thought anything of it. And if anything, from what I saw online at the time was like, if you want to work your core, just keep it contracted all the time. And I was like, okay. So it was like, it became second nature for me to keep my stomach super tight. And without knowing I was just breathing from my chest and my shoulders and did that, whatever, didn't really think about it. And then I remember um, jump roping like six years ago. And I was like leaking almost like I couldn't contain my bladder. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, I've only ever heard of this happening to women that have had a, like had a baby. So that was concerning. And that's what led me into looking into it. And then that's when I learned like proper breathing and that I was completely breathing the wrong way. I wasn't letting my uh, pelvic floor move with my diaphragm the yeah. way it's supposed to. And um, since then, I kind of started working on it. But yeah, it's just wild that that was something that I noticed for me that was like, oh, my pelvic floor is not working the way it's supposed to. Yeah. Um, are there any other kinds of signs besides like what I experienced um, that women might see or feel when it comes to them having a weak pelvic floor? Um, or are there any exercises they can do to maybe test to see if their pelvic floor is weak? Or is it really just you have to like book an appointment with someone like yourself, go in and kind of get it checked out? So no, I totally think if we all knew the norms of bowel and bladder health and sexual health and how that part of your breathing and posture is supposed to work, then we would know. I've always said that my dream would be if in like, I don't know, middle school or even early, early high school, you kind of had this checklist. And if you hit any of those, um, then you, you are starting it. It could be the start of something not good. Um, the earlier we catch everything, the better. So first of all, you should only be peeing five to seven times a day. So if you're peeing less than that or more than that, that's a sign. Number two, you should not be having to push your pee out. A lot of women think that I have to actually like almost strain a little bit to start my flow of urine, that is totally a sign. Um, bowel movements should not have to be pushed out at all. Um, it's breathe should be normal. If you're having to bear down or push for that, there's some type of pelvic floor dysfunction going on. Um, so in the bowel, bowel and bladder realm, that's um, what I always say if you're before or after that. Um, along with that, that I forgot to mention with bladder is really important are these short peas. I have women who will pee for three seconds. A normal amount is over eight seconds. So if you're going to the bathroom and you're like out in two seconds, wash your hand done, um, either you're not fully getting all of your urine out, which is pelvic floor issues, or um, your pelvic floor is, is so in that hypertonic state that it's not allowing 
So that's a good, great, if any of those are met, um, in the sense of sexual health, any type of penetrative sex should not be uncomfortable. And this is a huge one we see. If you, you're um, in a sexual penetrative sex relationship and it is uncomfortable upon initial or deep penetration, 100% you have something pelvic floor going on. Um, so we have a lot of patients in the 18 to 24 um, age group that are becoming sexually active and are Googling pain with sex and then pelvic PT comes up, which is amazing because when I was in high school, that was obviously not a thing. Um, and then in the sense of the breathing, like you said, chest breathers, people who use all this accessory movement and their bellies stay like perfectly flat when they're doing deep breaths. Um, they tend to be, which you've already talked about, abdominal clenchers, um, which means that pelvic floor is never moving. So you didn't have that ebb and flow which is how our pelvic floor works. Similar to like, if I'm lifting, this is how I would, you know, reach to get something, but then I go back down. If you're not having that ebb and flow, your pelvic floor is staying in one place all the time. We would never suggest any muscle being in one place. So now it's not working postural wise, great for me. So then the moment you started putting pressure onto your pelvic organs, hitting the hammock, which is our pelvic floor, your pelvic floor was like, I don't know how to have any give. It would be like jumping on a too tight trampoline. You would not go anywhere. I want my organs to go down and come up but have like a safety net. If my trampoline is so tight and someone tries to jump, it's just not going to, it's not going to be good. I'm not going to go anywhere. And that's when I tend to spit urine. Is that also the uh, technically the reasoning why sex would be painful if your pelvic floor is weak? Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't imagine that that would come up online at all. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that you get a PT requested or, you know, yeah. um, reference from that too. Oh yeah. That is probably one of the big, biggest diagnoses we get is pain with penetrative sex. Wow. That's wild. I didn't know that either. Um, as far as like testing through an exercise, you know, maybe to confirm, or if you're not sure if you're, you're feeling some of those symptoms on too high of a level, is there like a go-to exercise when you get a new client that you have them do to kind of test the strength of their pelvic floor? Or is that another physical so thing that you kind of have to check? It's tough because we're manually, you could try to have someone lay down and do a diaphragmatic breath and you could ask them on inhalation, can you feel expansion of your pelvic floor? Like a dropping, similar to like, if I'm here, I feel this occur with my shoulders going down. Um, you could have them do during inhale, do you feel relaxation? And during your exhale, do you feel engagement? So you could ask them, but it's that body awareness thing that a lot of people do not have. So we are manually inside of their pelvic floor um, with one finger, either rectally or vaginally, depending on what they have going on, sometimes both. And then we are seeing, are we feeling the muscle relax? Are we feeling it engage and ebb and flow? And then what is the power of that? So we have our own manual muscle testing, which I'm sure you've heard of, um, where you're testing zero to five strength, like you would a bicep or a tricep or a glute or with any exercise, we have the same manual muscle testing for the pelvic floor. And that's power, endurance, um, how they can relax, how they can contract, um, as well as fast twitch because cough, sneeze, laugh, those are all quick things. So I need to make sure my pelvic floor can quickly engage and relax. So we have um, a series of tests that we do internally 
But in terms of what someone to go to, I wish it's just so hard because there are people who sitting down here will tell me, I have no idea what's going pelvic floor. And then the moment I introduce them to their pelvic floor internally, and I say like, that's what I was having you do. They're like, I've never done that before. And they immediately, the moment they're connected to it, all things improve. And that's just someone, I call it introducing yourself to your pelvic floor. Yeah, I feel like if I really focus on it, I can kind of take that inhale and feel my pelvic floor relax, Mm -hmm. but then it feels like I'm not holding any stability through my core at the same time. Yep. And uh, it feels like I'm kind of just letting my, my, not letting my, well, yeah, I guess kind of like letting my stomach hang out. And then when I inhale, I don't know that I necessarily feel like that, that contraction, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I think, yeah, I, I, it seems very hard to really figure out like if you're actually feeling it and, and also if you're, if you're allowing that movement to happen while also maintaining stability in other areas. Cause I, you know, when I'm doing things like washing the dishes and I would imagine that new moms kind of feel this way all the time with like the constant bending over and reaching for their, their kids or doing things in front of them constantly. That's when I really notice, like I'm trying to stand tall I'm trying to do things out in front of me. And that's like the balance of trying to not let my pelvic floor be tight, but also maintaining that core stability seems really tough. Yeah, exactly. So what we tell people, and I'm sure you're familiar with muscle memory, we're having them do things. I'm sure right now, when you reach down to get a heavy load of groceries, you're doing it in like a deadlift form. It's almost like what your body feels comfortable doing. So when we're doing um, pelvic PT, we're teaching them how to do it in a thought um, place where they're really thinking and their brain and body are connecting in a silent, um, instructed way. So then when they're in the real world, that muscle memory will kick in. So I'm not having somebody while they're, you know, for long reaching down to pick up their child and they're inhaling eccentrically, controlling down and then um, concentrically lifting their pelvic floor in their TA as they're exhaling to lift because there's just no way we can go through life like that. So um, we're hoping that what they're learning on the table and functionally as we're practicing with weights and things like that, that then in the real world, their muscle memory is just kicking in. Almost like it just feels better. Just like you probably don't just hover over to bend something down because you're like, that doesn't feel good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It feels like I'm going to injure myself if I do something like that. Yeah. Um, Before we get into, I want to get into like actually taking care of the pelvic floor Mm -hmm. before and during uh, pregnancy, but um, what, is there a way, like if someone is completely detached from what their pelvic floor feels like, it's very weak, they're experiencing some of these symptoms that you're talking about, is there an average, would you say, amount of time it takes for someone to A, start feeling their pelvic floor? It sounds like they might be able to start feeling it on maybe session one or week one, but as far as um, connecting to it and being able to notice significant or even some changes from practicing, strengthening it, like what does that look like? Are you seeing clients two to three times a week and they start to notice changes after a month or what's kind of the timeline if, if possible on that? So for everyone, it varies depending on what they have going on. If it's been chronic, so let's say someone comes to me and they said, I have had constipation since I can remember. Um, then I kind of can guess that patient, if it's been going on for 10 years, it's not going to take 
a few sessions to reset that. Now, if someone says, just recently, I'm a runner, and just recently I went on a run and started noticing some leakage. Now it's something new that has happened that hopefully we could just retrain that and give them a sense. Maybe it was, um, you know, do they change shoes? Is their terrain different? What what happened in that change? Is it hormonal? Um, are they around their cycle? All these different things. So it very much depends. But we see here at our practice, a patient um, only one times a week. So we're never seeing someone two or three times because so much of it is based on their home program. So we create a program for them to do. Um, there are manual release tools. The pelvic wand helps relax your pelvic floor. I call it like a foam roller for your pelvic floor or a Theragun for your pelvic floor. Um, so if someone is on that high tone um, place and they're releasing, retraining, doing a home program, just like you would at any PT, um, just different, you know, grouping of muscles is in a more intimate place. And then um, we're seeing that retrain process, just like any muscle in the body, it takes four to six weeks to see any type of improvements. So we're at least seeing them for, for that six weeks. And then from there, we're just judging on a, like a test retest um, to see how, how it's working. Everybody is so different too. So like you lift weights, so your pelvic floor is going to need to act differently than someone who just does cycling. Um, and it's going to adapt different. If you said, I'm done lifting weights and I'm only going to go cycle, you may notice a change in your pelvic health because your pelvic floor is adapted to that, its needs. Because it's the midpoint of our body, it changes and it needs to progress. Like you worked up to the amount of weight you're lifting. But if you just tried to lift that, not only would you injure something else in your body, you may have seen a pelvic floor symptom. Does that make sense? So yeah, no, totally. Also based on like patient specific. So whatever their goals are, that pelvic floor may be ready to be pelvic floor. That person's pelvic floor may be ready to be discharged because they are telling me, I just want to make it through a day without sneezing and leaking they may have no goals of, of um, physical fitness. But if I have someone in here who's like, I'm going to run a marathon and not leak, that person could be coming for a year. Um, it just very much depends. Okay. Yeah. I feel like that's always the answer, but it's kind of good yeah. to get the range, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So obviously this has all just kind of been general population, which is really crazy. Cause I really think that this conversation typically doesn't even really come up until someone is pregnant or maybe not even till after they're pregnant. I I'd assume is more of like the common time that you're seeing people, um, you know, because they notice like what the heck I'm leaking and not realizing that maybe that was an issue they were kind of having before they even got pregnant. So, um, are there certain exercises, um, I guess, as soon, like leading up to pregnancy or as soon as you get pregnant that you would say are important to start incorporating? And with that, are there certain exercises or things um, in your day-to-day -day life that you should be avoiding leading up to getting pregnant or that first, first trimester? So I would say that the most important thing going into pregnancy is knowing how to control and utilize your deep core correctly. And the reason I say that is, so I have a five-year-old and I was a, I've been a pelvic PT for eight years. So I was obviously practicing and teaching this before, but when I got pregnant is when I truly noticed that I think I was 
overly utilizing my um, superficial core, which is my six pack muscle, my obliques, um, and that deep. You were too. I was, and I taught it every day. Wow. Um, it Whoa. was until I like went through it that I was like, oh my gosh, I think um, I think I've been doing this wrong personally. Um, so actually knowing how to utilize your deep core correctly, um, also having great posture awareness in your posture, um, neutral pelvis. I think so many people, um, over tuck their pelvis, meaning that like booty tuck glutes are just clenched. Um, the knees are just so straight, um, sometimes hyperextended and that creates so much pressure on the pelvic floor, which then leads to pelvic floor clenching. Um, so I would say my top three is breathing properly, good neutral pelvis posture and knowing how to utilize your deep core correctly before going into it. And then during pregnancy would be continuing deep core work, hip mobility and hip strength, lateral hip strength, posterior chain, so back of the body strength, um, and continuing good posture is, is definitely the most important. When I had my son, um, I immediately could find my core so quick because of the work I did, even though, um, my core, obviously my abdominals looked different immediately. I could feel everything working. And so I got to get into normal exercise quicker than some people who come and they're like, I haven't felt my core in 10 months. Um, and now they're setting themselves up for injury for pelvic floor issues and all of this. So we could just go straight into this deep core to deep core, that muscle memory, once again, um, then you're just setting yourself up for an easier way of getting back into um, life pre, pre-pregnancy. Speaking of, you said, did you say that your core looked different? So in the sense of like, maybe I didn't see any abdominals, I felt them so easily. So like right oh. after I had my son, I remember laying there and I was like, I'm going to see if I can engage my core. And because I was doing it so much when I was pregnant, like I could find my core. Now, yes, everything else was smushy and gushy around it, but I could find it. So I could stabilize myself as I'm lifting that 10 pound car seat. And as I'm doing things, the muscle memory was there. And we find so often that when people are like, I didn't do anything specific during pregnancy, or maybe I was doing it incorrectly, then they cannot find it postpartum, which leads to this low back pain, bad posture, this like strain from feeding, all the issues. And if we just knew how to engage our deep core, I I didn't have those things. Um, And I really attribute that to doing deep core for five, 10 minutes, you know, five times a week. Um, and then continuing it throughout my whole pregnancy, even when I felt like it was doing nothing, it was obviously doing something. Wow. Okay. So that's actually really great to hear that the amount of time spent actually doesn't even have to be that much. Um, I was asking if, if what you meant in terms of the look of your core, because this is something I feel like I've seen and heard some pelvic floor people speak on. And it's something I've I've been asked in the past from clients in terms of the appearance, the appearance of some women's core. Mm -hmm. And for me, I've always been a little like, I'm not sure why my core looks like that because on the outside looking in, if you look at my core, 
it looks like I have like, like, like you can really see like my, my abs, right? Like yep. the six pack abs. And, um, I don't do like weighted sit-ups. I don't do any crunches. I don't do any of that. It's just, it just is how my body appears. And then you have the women who have like a very clearly defined core, but it seems like it's more of like kind of the line down the middle, the obliques are really kind yeah. of carved in. Do you attribute that to maybe someone that does have more of that, like kind of upfront bulkier six pack to someone that's overusing their transverse and then appearing or compared to the person that kind of has like that ladder appearance are, is that more deep core? Is that like the looks that we're seeing? So a hundred percent. I mean, we've definitely seen, um, I know you've seen fitness models and things like that who've never had children who you could see that diastasis recti, that separation of the abdominals in the front. And typically we think of that with pregnancy and postpartum, but if you overtrain your rectus abdominis and you're not utilizing your deep core correctly by, um, you know, not doing the breath correctly or overdoing crunches, sit-ups, um, things like that, then you're going to see that six pack muscle way more. Truly what you're looking for is more of that TA coming around the side. Um, and that is just a huge misconception. I mean, we grew up in PE and I played sports my whole life. When you would do core, it was sit-ups, crunches, and things like that, which is why I think I had such a hard time learning how to utilize my TA until it almost was like, no, this is what you have to do. And then when my body got pregnant and postpartum, um, I definitely have a stronger core now than I ever did having my son. And people are always blown away by that. And I'm like, I think it's because my body made me start over almost. Do you know what I mean? Like I had to, I had to break that over rectus. We have so many women who lay on the table who have beautiful six pack looking cores and cannot engage their TA to save their life. Um, it, they don't even know where it is. And those are the people whose pelvic floors are rock hard because they've never utilized that ebb and flow. Um, and those are the people that end up with urinary incontinence, um, pelvic floor issues, prolapse, which we haven't even talked about, but, um, so I, yes, the appearance of your core can make a difference. Also just in general, how your core is made in terms of length of torso and things like that. I'm really scared. This is me. <laughs> I like need to go see a pelvic floor specialist. You're in Atlanta. I wish you were here. Um, but no, yeah, I, I mean, that makes sense. So that's something to kind of look at. Um, you touched on prolapse. That's, can you kind of explain that a little bit? So that's where as females, we have pelvic organs that can fall into um, the vaginal canal and not penetrate through the walls of the um, vaginal canal, but kind of disturb that area. So your uterus, your bladder, or your rectum can kind of start to lower. So pre-pregnancy or when we are young, all our organs are up high and our pelvic floor is almost like a hammock that holds them. Um, when we have a pregnancy or postpartum, um, unrelated to pregnancy and postpartum, this can happen with some people who lift a lot and intra-abdominal pressure is so high that the organs start to come down. I've had plenty of patients who, um, were athletes that lifted a lot of weight with holding their breath and developed prolapse. But in the sense of pregnancy and postpartum, that's typically when prolapse occurs, and there are different grades of it. And um, it presents as a lot of pelvic pressure and heaviness, almost like you have a tampon in, but you don't have a tampon in. It's just this awareness that something is full and low in our pelvis. 
and about 50% of women who have a child have some level of a prolapse. It is probably one of the hardest things to treat because it affects so much of what we do. And it's just um, this awful feeling um, that I can 100% relate to. I developed a prolapse after I had my son from my delivery. And it took me two years to not feel the sensation. So I really empathize with my patients who come in with prolapse. I love treating prolapse because it's pressure management. It's reteaching your body how to make sure that piston's working and not having so much intra-abdominal pressure go down into the pelvis um, and limiting how I move in the sense of not increasing that pressure. So something as little as how I walk and how do I use my glutes to help me versus pounding on the floor and things like that. Um, so prolapse is near and dear to my heart and is really crazy that if one in two women have them, but only I think the statistic is less than 5% of women see a pelvic PT that people are walking around um, living with these issues that will probably most likely end up in surgery if left untreated. Um, and a lot of it can be just education. My God, that is terrifying. So it sounds like this could a weak pelvic floor not understanding how to contract and use your pelvic floor accordingly. It sounds like it would also lead to lead to hernias. Too, totally. Can. Right? 100%. So umbilical hernia um, is super common when you uh, are pregnant and then postpartum, the overpressure. So if you can learn to engage your deep core with that breath, you're limiting how much pressure is going to go on that weakened abdominal state. So hopefully um, learning that will decrease that chance. So it kind of sounds like before someone is, you know, if someone's planning on getting pregnant, it almost sounds like it might be beneficial to make an appointment and go see a pelvic floor specialist beforehand, right? So that you can kind of get a feel for what's going on before you even get into this situation where you're about to be creating so much more heaviness than you can handle. That is every pelvic PT's goal. Um, if we could have a preventative screen with every female, um, I treat only female, many PTs treat men, men have a ton of issues as well. So I'm only speaking for females, but just like that first appointment, my mom's an OBGYN. Um, so I saw an OB very early in life. So let's say that first appointment OB, they're not examining your muscles. They're not examining your breathing. They're not examining the musculoskeletal part. But if I would have seen a pelvic PT when I was, you know, 16 years old, who could have said what my base tone is, how my breathing is, my posture, what norms are of uh, bowel, bladder, and sexual health, then I would be at such a better place than I than I am right now. Um, so my answer is yes, because how many people have been sitting in this room and I, they're coming in for diastasis recti, but they say, mercy, when I filled out my intake form, I actually have so many of these things. Um, but they did not think they could be related and they're so related. Um, so I am all about preventative um, pelvic health because it would be so much better to find those things out earlier to have a better pregnancy, a better postpartum and a better premenopause, postmenopause, all the above. Yeah. That's why I think it's so important to talk to people like you, because I think there's so many things within the fitness space a lot of things in general, but fitness, health, 
where it's like if you don't even know that something is incorrect, then you just simply don't know that it's an issue. You know what I mean? And it's like if you are hearing all of these symptoms of someone that has a weak pelvic floor for the first time and you're realizing that you check off all of them, it's like why haven't we heard about this being an issue? Why am I just now finding out that this isn't normal? And it's like if you don't think it's abnormal, you're not going to really be bringing it up to anybody. Um, so I think, yeah, it sounds like it's probably a really good idea to go try to find someone, um, you know, before getting pregnant. Um, with that said, is there, I know that I kind of personally have sort of like a little checklist for, you know, if you're looking for uh, a physical therapist or a strength and conditioning coach in your area, these are some things that I would suggest asking your, your PT or your strength coach to make sure that you're going with someone that is going to be a good fit. Mm -hmm. Do you kind of have something similar to that when it comes to finding a good pelvic floor specialist? Um, is there stuff to look out for when, cho when choosing someone or anything like that? So I would say you have, they have to do internal exams. So like I've had patients move and say, can you find a pelvic PT or what should I look for? And I'm looking for a pelvic PT when I move. And I always say, when you, when you're on that phone, you make sure and ask the front desk, are they doing internal work? Because there's so much to be seen internally. Um, the other thing is I truly think that um, all pelvic PTs practicing what they're preaching, similar to you, you're working out and exercising so that when you're teaching people, um, I think that most pelvic PTs become pelvic PTs because of something that has happened to them or how, what led them to that. And I think that's super important because then like any provider, they're super, I'm super passionate about, um, what I do and I love it. Um, and you can really tell by someone's bio, like a lot of them were past dancers, past gymnasts, horseback ride, um, I, my OBGYN mom background just totally led me to this field because I heard all of the issues that she was unable to solve, um, being a medical provider. So I think that's super important. Um, but most pelvic PTs are very passionate about what they do. So I would say the biggest thing is making sure that they're doing internal work. Okay, cool. That's good to know. Yeah. And my, and my side of things, I'm like, just make sure they like, just let's see if they at least train people first. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like how many programs am I seeing that are sold online right now? And the person's never even trained someone in person. I'm like, what yeah. is going on? Um, when someone is pregnant, they're realizing that they have these symptoms. Is there a point where it's kind of like, you're going to have to wait now until after you give birth. Like we're kind of a little bit too late to try to start focusing on pelvic floor strengthening, or is it really like you can kind of come in at any point during the pregnancy and try to start seeing some, some changes? Yeah. Any point the latter, because we have some um, providers, we have something called the Atlanta birth center here in Atlanta, which is a more holistic approach to birth. It's midwife, um, midwife run and we will get people at 38 weeks pregnant. They could deliver really any moment. And the midwife will say we're sending because we noticed on the last exam, pelvic floor was so tight. Um, and could you do anything to help before birth? So talking about proper positioning during labor and delivery, that's a huge one, which is just education, teaching them how to try to relax them, their pelvic floor, immediately giving them stretches internally so they can start stretching their own pelvic floor and perineum. And then going through how to breathe while you're pushing 
and then immediately to do while early postpartum. So actually we see so many people super late in their pregnancy. Ideally, our goal is to see someone after their first trimester, um, if that was the perfect scenario, but doesn't always work out like that. But you'll get so much education that will help you with your birth because in America, we are still birthing an external knee, um, external rotation, knees out, feet out, on your back, which is the worst position to give birth in. It closes the pelvic outlet, makes it more narrow. So more pushing is going to have to occur, which is more dysfunction that's going to occur on the pelvic floor, more tearing that could happen. Um, and that's still how we're taught. So we teach people now the last four appointments of their pregnancy, we're going over um, positioning, breathing, and early postpartum. And that helps so much. So my answer is anytime. That is so annoying, by the way. Why are we doing things the worst way possible? Like what the hell is going on? It is solely because that is the um, how OBs are taught. And it's how in terms of malpractice, they are safest medically um, and can be controlled better. So even though it's not the best for the body, it is controlled in the sense of if someone hemorrhages, if I need to come in with a vacuum to get the baby out, if I need to use forceps or if I need to do an episiotomy, that position is best for the doctor to control, but it's not best for our bodies. If you look in other countries like Europe, Canada, Australia, um, they are using peanut balls, internal rotation. Um, they have someone in there doing perineal stretching. That is just, it's just not happening here. We're behind the times. So annoying. Um, well, that leads me to my next thing. I am super excited to kind of bring forth. I don't know. We don't know exactly when this will be ready, but Dr. Mercy and I are working on something that we're both really passionate about, which is a um, nine month essentially a pregnancy training program that's going to really incorporate a lot of the proper strength that you need to be focusing on throughout pregnancy to kind of help you through pregnancy as well as hopefully helping you have a really great um, uh, birth, right? And then we also want to focus on the pelvic floor and the breathing and how to do that properly throughout pregnancy. So can you kind of go over, because this was stuff that I didn't know when we first started working together as far as you know, I know with the strength side of things that things need to change a little bit from trimester to trimester to make sure that the baby's safe and the mom's safe and things like that. Um, can you kind of touch on for trimester one through three, what are some of the strength exercises that we are incorporating and why? And um, how are they kind of changing as we get closer to giving birth? So immediately starting out with in trimester one, how to utilize your transverse abdominis and your pelvic floor together with your breath. So that way, if they're learning that trimester one, they can carry that on through all trimesters because a lot of people have no idea going back to your, I've always done crunches and sit-ups and planks and things like that. So first teaching that is super important. Trimester one, if you've been training, you can pretty much do anything that you have been doing. You're just trying to utilize that breath now with it. So just kind of like including it in. And then continuing a lot of, um, of the strength moves that you, or hip moves or whatever you were doing prior is okay. You can be on your back, 
um, everything is pretty much fine. You just wanna make sure you're not overutilizing your rectus abdominis and oblique. So that way, when you are moving forward and your belly is growing, your transverse abdominis can remember back to that muscle memory. Um, trimester two, we're really fo focus on hip extension, glutes, posterior chain, because you start to lose a lot of hip extension. So that's when that mob butt happens and you just, it's because you cannot find it with walking. You lose the actual physical amount of hip extension you can do. So we're really trying to make sure we're focused on that strength. Um, we're also doing a lot of lateral hip movements because a lot of times we start that mom waddle, that back and forth walking, and that starts because weakness of the hips and then continuing deep core. Um, still can be on your back. Also working on a lot of upper body. The posture starts to change to making sure our scapular stabilizers are working um, with a lot of sh shoulder um, work and scapular stabilization exercises. Trimester three, taking it down in the sense of um, maybe how much like up and down movement is occurring, but still working on the transverse abdominis, posterior chain, scapular stabilizers, rotation, super important here because we lo lose a lot of mobility um, and things like that. But nothing is out. Um, you know, you can even do dead bug, for instance, in the third trimester, as long as you are not feeling lightheaded or um, in terms of like blood pressure, uncomfortable on your back. But truly, even that has been debunked in the sense of I can't do an exercise on my back for a short period of time. It would actually be great. Um, same thing with planks. If you are doing baby hug correctly, which is engaging your transverse abdominis in those later trimesters, um, if you're doing it correctly and you don't notice any coning, which is the abdominal separation starting to create a point at your midline, if you're not noticing that, then you can continue that or change it to an incline plank or a wall plank. Um, so it used to be like hard, yes, you can, no, you can't. And really in the last 10 years, a lot of that's been debunked. It's just how to do these exercises, utilizing the correct deep core pelvic floor breath connection so you're getting the most out of them and truly all of that is so that postpartum you're in such a better place um to get back to doing what you were doing can you touch on too so i know that i think was it trimester two or trimester three where you had mentioned we in this in this section we really want to start incorporating more sumo work and okay. kind of telling everyone about like how that how that placement is going to help with uh pregnancy yep so you have a pelvic inlet and a pelvic outlet. The inlet is the top of your pelvis, like the hip bones that you can kind of feel. And in the last trimester, to get baby to settle into the pelvis, when our legs are externally rotated, it gets baby in the pelvic inlet, which is um, opposite of when you're trying to get baby out of the outlet, you want your legs in internal rotation. So throughout trimester three, we do a lot of sumo work um, and I have patients doing things like curb walking, um, which is one foot on a curb, one foot off of a curb walking that is in that external rotation piece, um, as well as like lateral lunges um, with the toe out in a mobility, hip mobility sense, because getting the baby to settle into that will only improve um, labor and delivery times and get baby in a better head down um, position. So that is why um, we do that, which is why that position is so bad during birth, active labor, because it's getting baby in the top, but then closes the bottom. So you want to do the opposite of everything during 
during birth. But anyways, yes, exactly. That's why we're working on a lot of sumo work in trimester three. That's so stupid. I just like, I'm just shaking my head. I'm like, why are we making this harder? It's already hard. I know. Um, it's also confusing when you think about it, right? Because you're, you're being told, you know, starting in trimester three, you can't be on your back, but then we're delivering on our back. I know. I know. I don't. Okay. Well, that's confusing. <laughs> um, let me see. What did I want to ask for postpartum? Um, it sounds like for postpartum, it's kind of essentially it's normal, you know, it's more normal to feel the things you were talking about feeling that, um, some people who have never had a child may feel, and it seems like it would be pretty standard for someone postpartum to go start doing pelvic floor work. Um, some of the questions some of the listeners were asking are, you know, are Kegels good enough to be doing? It sounds like you kind of touched on that already, but can you talk about a little more in depth why are Kegels maybe not the answer? Is it because the pelvic floor is already so weak slash tight and the Kegel, is it just tightening it further? So it would be like sitting in a chair right now and my glute exercise was me just clenching my glutes and relaxing my glutes, clenching my glutes and an isometric glute activation. We don't do that. That's not functional. Um, so where I may, let's say I have glute, um, let's say I have hip surgery. I may need to just isolate just that glute max and do that. Maybe you've probably had a client who cannot find their glutes. And so you're like tapping on it and trying to make it isometrically contract. So a Kegel may be okay for someone who I can't even find a contraction. So I may have them isometrically use it, but long-term this whole, like I've had patients tell me, my doctor said 50 to hundred Kegels a day for the rest of my life. That would be like me sitting here and doing 50 glute. You know what I mean? It's not functional. So what ends up happening is if I already did have that shortened pelvic floor because of tightness and I'm just doing that, it's only going to creep up and become shorter because it's not utilizing that full range of motion. So, um, they are not the answer. And actually 70% of people who read how to do a Kegel are doing them incorrectly. So if we're just saying it and not going over, um, how to properly do it with breath and posture and everything, then, um, then it's just a waste of time anyways, and can lead to more dysfunction. So postpartum, I think it's very important to start you would be using that activation of the muscle, just like you would be using the activation of your glute to do a bridge. You'd be utilizing the pelvic floor correctly while doing another exercise with the correct breath and the correct posture, which would lead it to more functional um, later down the road. So Kegels are truly not the answer and utilized very short term if they're utilized at all. So it sounds like the exercises that you would have someone do before having a baby and, you know, obviously depending on the trimester, the exercises that they're doing throughout pregnancy, is it the same kind of protocol postpartum that you're having them do, um, to kind of get that strength back? So similar, I would say, um, at that point now we're trying to get the pelvic floor used to, um, more pressure. So the intra-abdominal 
Um, I call it IAP, intra-abdominal pressure. Now the pelvic floor has to learn how to take that again in a different way because it's kind of had pressure on it for such a long time. So we're kind of working on um, how it's going to return back to pre-pregnancy and the type of exercises they were doing before um, or while they were pregnant. So typically starting at around zero to two weeks, depending on what type of birth they have, we're starting with more mobility, breathing, um, things like, you know, wall angels, eyes, Y's and T's to get this upright again, because this is happening all the time with feeding and those muscles, muscles are lengthening. Um, and the shoulders then, are coming up. Yeah. And then re, um, doing neuromuscular, um, exercises, leading into around two weeks when we can really start retraining the core. And it's in a much slow and controlled way than when they were pregnant, because the, if they have a vaginal delivery, all those muscles were just stretched so much. And just like if you're in a car accident and you have whiplash, the pelvic floor reacts like that. So it goes into this state. So we're having to retrain that. So it's a little bit more slow and gradual than when someone's pregnant, they can kind of be doing what they were doing just in the correct way. Um, and then if someone has a C-section, that was a major abdominal surgery. So now we're really retraining that core from bottom up, almost like if you had knee surgery, let's say you tore your ACL skiing, you are retraining those quads, the glutes. I mean, they've now been disturbed. That That is what occurs with a C-section. So we're retraining that core. It helps so much if they had a strong core going into it, um, but you are still having to retrain it because of the abdominal surgery. Is it safe to say that pretty much any woman that gives birth is going to absolutely have a weak pelvic floor after and should absolutely be doing these exercises postpartum? So they should be 100% um, doing these exercises postpartum. It doesn't mean they necessarily have any pelvic floor issues. Um, I just saw a patient today who I saw her throughout her full pregnancy. Um, we saw each other maybe once every three or four weeks. Um, and she was so good at staying on her home exercise program. And then I just saw her at her six week follow-up and I almost could find nothing going on. She has no DR, diastasis recti, which is the separation of the abdominals. Her pelvic floor felt great. She had two little stitches. So there's a tiny bit of scar tissue we worked on. Other than that, she has all of the um, foundations that she was taught during her pregnancy to carry on and slowly strengthen. So in, I'm acting like a guide, but there's nothing that I'm actually having to fix because um, nothing is really wrong. And I'm attributing that to her being on her, um, you know, best HEP um, behavior in the sense of following everything perfectly um, also she had a great birth and some of those are, I did everything super perfect during my whole pregnancy and I felt so strong. And unfortunately I had a little bit of an emergency birth that resulted in a fourth degree tear, which is tearing of every single pelvic floor muscles all the way from my vagina to my rectum. So it didn't matter everything I did. It helped, but then I had to start kind of new again. Um, my muscle memory was there. So I was very happy about that, but I couldn't, there's some births that, um, you know, you can, you can prep for as best you can, but if an emergency situation, things have to happen. Um, so my, in a long roundabout way, once again, it depends because you could have what she had was a perfect story, or you could have 
me doing the same exact things that ended in a different way. So I was in pelvic PT for two years um, with a great pelvic PT here in Atlanta. Um, and this person who I saw today may see me one or two more times. Yeah, because I would imagine with how little is known about pelvic floors and that you can see someone for these things and the symptoms, I would imagine that a lot of women don't know they have an issue. They get pregnant. They they kind of worsen the strength of their pelvic floor through pregnancy, postpartum. They still don't really understand maybe that these symptoms are irregular and they just go back to their their training or whatever they were doing six weeks after giving birth. And then do you think that they're finding, you know, like six months later, like, holy crap, like something seriously wrong or so I think this is do you think they should have noticed by that point? Yeah, they will have had notice. So statistics now say that, um, 80% of six months still have pain with sex. And that's a huge issue with, um, hypertensity scar tissue. Not, it's very rare for someone to not have any vaginal tearing. Um, and then the statistics say that 70% of women have leaking at eight months postpartum. So they could get back into things like you were just saying, they're ready to get back. They feel good. They get back into things. But if that, um, ebb and flow in pelvic floor is not working correctly with their deep core, then over time, whatever the dysfunctional pattern is, is just going to worsen and then can present with a symptom. So I could have, you know, a not functioning correctly. Let's put it to a different place in the body. I could have not functioning glutes. I maybe never can engage my glutes correctly, but it's not going to affect me until I try to do something that it does. Like, let's say one day I'm decide that I'm going to, um, go hiking up a mountain and then I immediately like have knee pain or something. And then it can be like, Oh, I get told I have weak glutes. So until something happens, so maybe that person is, you know, progressing and then they're like, I'm ready for, um, double unders. And then they do a double under. And then that's what presents with that leakage. So it, it, it very much depends on what the individual is doing, how much of it they're doing, and then how they're progressing. Um, but everyone, I think in general, will see an issue of pain with sex, urinary incontinence, bowel movement issues, or um, diastasis recti. And that tends to be later, not earlier, actually. Okay. Um, okay, this has been amazing. I want to get into a couple of the listener questions. I think we kind of covered a lot of these, but just maybe some quick uh, summaries for some of these. Um, one that I was really curious about, someone asked, struggling to turn off my abs after years of Pilates, neutral pelvis, how, oh wait, sorry, struggling to turn off my abs after two years of Pilates, being tense in the abs all the time, um, how can I build my pelvic strength without tensing? I think that's interesting because I think that a lot of people are going to be turning to Pilates to really focus on things like their uh, deep pelvic floor and deep core muscles. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be really helpful. But I, back to me feeling like I have a weak pelvic floor and deep in like super deep core muscles. Um, I find that in like a in a reformers Pilates class, I can't even do a lot of the stuff that they're doing because it almost feels like that coning is happening in a way for me where it's almost too much pressure down and I can't even control it. Yeah. Um, maybe Matt Pilates would be a better option, but how would you answer that question? So 
there like there are good and bad everything i think unfortunately with a lot of these big plotting classes they're not having individualized structured um you know it's going to be different for you and you and you and they're not monitoring so i truly believe postpartum plotting or in general um Pilates for public health can be great because good Pilates instructors are teaching neutral pelvis, inhale, relax, exhale, and then slowly progressing. Um, I actually love it, but um, I don't know if you've heard of like solid core or club Pilates, those places. That is like the master of Pilates. And if you don't have the foundations, I can totally see someone just going into this clinch state. So that individual who wrote you that needs to work on first relaxing everything and then retraining everything. So almost like starting from the beginning, because I bet you their rectus abdominis is just so overly used. Their obliques are probably so overly used. They probably um, need a lot of myofascial work, which is just manually getting everything blood flow. And then you can retrain the deep core and go bottom up. I bet the pelvic floor is like this. And so once that's all retrained, you could return to it and do it the correct way. So I'm never like a, that is bad um, because there's a right and a wrong way of doing everything. It's more the individualized structure was not there. Would that myofascial release therapy be something that the pelvic floor specialist would do? Okay. Um, this person's asking, what are the best exercises to build control from leaking urine? Are there a couple that you go to um, for that direct no, that's, issue? Or That's so hard because if it is a too, um, you know, a weak pelvic floor can be too tight. So if it's too tight, it's the myofascial release of the pelvic floor. Retraining, inhale, relax. And then them teaching, um, learning how to engage upon pressure hitting. So let's say I'm leaking every time my foot is hitting the ground. Um, I utilize an, an exhale and a slight engagement to prevent my sphincters from spitting urine. Um, if that is the way it is, if it's truly a um, over lengthened, weak pelvic floor, not in the hypertonic state, but like it's not working. I mean, I've definitely felt pelvic floors that feel perfectly normal myofascially, but then um, just don't know how to even engage, then that person would very much benefit from learning how to control their pelvic floor, exhale, engage upon exertion. When I mean engage, wrap, lift their deep core, doing deep core exercises, dead bug, bird dog, bridges with pelvic floor, bridges with a ball between their knees, pelvic floor engagement. Um, but what's so hard, and that's why I hate these questions, is I don't know what type of pelvic floor they have. So if what I just said, that person has a high tone pelvic floor, those things can make it worse. So that's really why um, in a perfect world, everyone knows what type of pelvic floor they have because there's levels of all of it. It's not just A and B, and then they can learn based on that. But um, that's why I hate, you know, like the, hey, do 50 Kegels a day because you just ruin someone's life if they have a high tone pelvic floor. You've helped some lives if they have, a normal tone pelvic floor and actually can't engage it. But I don't know by giving that blanket advice. Okay. Um, for the, for the things that you're, you're mentioning, like the, uh, dead bugs and, um, like the glute bridges with mm -hmm. pelvic floor, 
those are obviously very focused on your inhales and your exhales while you're doing those exercises. Are those inhales and exhales meant to be forceful? Like where you're at the end of the exhale, you're really, really contracting and trying to get out as much air as possible. Or are those inhales and exhales meant to be pretty relaxed? Um, so it depends on if someone knows how to use their TA correctly or not. So let's say I'm doing dead bug and, um, you mentioned that sometimes when you're doing something, you'll notice that coating will occur. If I am not, my intra-abdominal pressure is not ebbing and flowing correctly, then if I'm forcefully and I'm wrapping and I notice the increased pressure coming through my abdominals, then that wouldn't be good for me. But if I'm not having that, and then it may be okay. So it would just depend. But I am on the... Um, Eccentric is just as important as concentric and sometimes more important. So um, I like long inhales, long exhales, and I'm not using accessories. So a lot of times when someone's doing that forceful, see how my scalenes, my sternocleidomastoid, my traps, they all came out to play, which would not be beneficial. I'm kind of losing out. So similar to what you said, I pretty much do no crunches, no sit-ups. All of my core is um, deep core. I do a ton of standing core. Um, I find core, and sometimes I'm sitting at my desk right now, I will just isometrically push against my desk and engage my core as I'm exhaling. When I'm doing notes, inhaling, let it go. Sometimes I'll even march my leg up and push my leg into my desk. Exhale, inhale, let it go. But I'm not doing it and all this is coming, I'm very lightly doing it. So I'm engaging my core and trying to stay stable and not let my body move or my hips dip. Um, so I'm on the, let's not get it to um, overwork. But if someone truly is weak, sometimes it does take that into that exhale to finally get the muscle on. And then we're retraining it to not have to be like that. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, like I was saying in that kind of um, – pronated position, like in a Pilates class, I do find that it's just too much weight bearing on my, on my core, it feels like. And then when I'm doing uh, dead bugs, I mean, at rep six out of 10, I'm shaking mm -hmm. and I can really feel my core working and I can feel that wrap that you're talking about. And that wrap that you're talking about with that lift, I think is so hard to understand until you see it. And in the program we're putting together, it's really great that we were able to get um, a woman who is actually pregnant so that you can truly see what that looks like. Um, because it's something that you're going to want to feel for even when you're not pregnant, but having the belly there gives you a really good example of how it looks for the entire core to kind of wrap around the belly. And then it lifts at the end of that exhale. Right. Exactly. Um, so that gives it a really good visual. So, um, yeah, all that is to say, like, I'm, I'm really excited for this program to come out. I think it's going to be really beneficial for people. And I just feel so grateful to be working with you and learning from you. I learned even more today. And this is like the fourth time we've talked. So um, yeah, I want to thank you so much for your time. Where can um, people find you online and in person? Um, how can they work with you? And yeah, kind of let people know where to find you. So um, we're at the Pelvis Pro on Instagram. We're the pelvispro.com on site. We have two locations in Atlanta, um, Midtown Atlanta and Inman Park in Atlanta. And um, we do a ton of, um, I have many, many, many um, amazing people who give information through our Instagram. So that's great too. Um, so we do daily 
exercise tips and things like that. Um, but we'd love to have you if you're in Atlanta. Amazing. I really wish you were here. Um, I'll have to come out to you sometime, but in the meantime, I'll have to find someone here. <laughs> um, okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. I uh, really appreciate chatting with you and I cannot wait to put out this program. I know. I'm excited. It'll be great. I think it's also good because it'll show people that um, you, what you can continue doing, but there's just a way of doing it correctly. So it's not so much changing what you've been you know, told that you cannot do by somebody. It's just how can I make that better while I'm pregnant to help me with my postpartum stage and birth and beyond. A hundred percent. Yeah. I've been getting a lot of patients or patients, clients asking me like, is training through pregnancy going to help me with pregnancy? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. it's, you're about to do something massive. That's going to be really hard. Like it's yeah. going to be a lot better to be able to connect with your core, connect with your breath, yeah. know how to push, know how to not hold, you know, your breath yeah. up in your chest and all that stuff. So so many benefits. I think it's going to be really, really valuable for people. So I cannot wait. Thank you again so much. Of course.